The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Okay, well, let's try that again. And um, so, okay, listen, I, it's been a week since I've been in the studio here. And um, I don't know, I guess I forget everything. <laughs> Vacation equals um, total mind dump. But, um, but I love summer. And I have to say, I, you know, you finally get a chance to enjoy the kids in a more relaxed way. And boy, it's just one of the one of the things I love about taking that time out. Um, we take on a slower pace, we rest more, we play more. And um, we actually make a real breakfast, not just the kind of breakfast that requires portability for the uh, inedi- inevitable mad dash to the early morning car ride for school. Um, but, you know, just about the time I have adapted to the sleeping in and I notice, gosh, that slow insidious, um, I don't know, there's an insidiousness that creeps into your days in summer and the children become less regulated and um, there's that lack of a defined routine that really starts to affect them and we start breaking our own rules. You know, sure, you can stay up a little later and watch more TV. Sure, you can spend some extra time playing on the Wii and and sure, you know, use my phone to look at that app or play that game and it just it seeps into the dinner hour or we're sitting at a restaurant and, you know, there's a video game again. So, um, but the spitting out of control happens... I don't know, it happens kind of fast and without warning. And I actually start to dream of the start of a new school year where our routine gets back into order. And I know it kind of sounds crazy, but that is, that is what, you know, what I see the routine as being. And um, it turns out that the crazy is, you know, definitely there. And I'm dealing with a much stronger force that's colliding to destroy our summer bliss. So I thought I would bring in a specialist to explain what might be happening. And um, today we're going to take an in-depth look in the topic of video game addiction with uh, Yurik Wong. And Yurik is a friend of mine. We know each other from the beach. My family plays volleyball every week, lots of times during the week. And Yurik's down there playing volleyball. And so we were having a substantive conversation one day. And um And I got to find out what Yurik does, and he is writing his dissertation on video game play and addiction behaviors. And we're going to get to look at his insider's perspective, both as a player and um, his well-studied doctoral perspective on the subject matter. So I'm excited to bring Yurik in here to talk to us today. he lives in Newport with his beautiful wife, Lynn, and Yurik is Canadian-born to parents originally from Hong Kong, right? He received his bachelor's degree um, in computer engineering and a master's of clinical psychology. He grew up in Canada playing video games, and um, as they were adduced on, re- introduced on those early devices, he wanted a career in video game and creating video games. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That's a true insider's perspective. He worked as a programmer in the video game industry in Vancouver, Canada, 
And then um, a motorcycle accident caused him to reevaluate his life, and he went back to school to study psychology. So I can't, I can't wait to hear about that. Um, and with that match, the video game addiction, the research area really let him combine both of the things that he loved um, with psychology and his interest in video games. So that's where we're going to begin our discussion today. So I welcome you, um, Yurik Wong. Thanks, Kimberly. Uh, I really appreciate you making time for me to come on to this uh this talk show that you have. Good, good. Well, uh, you have so much to say about the subject matter, but what I found interesting was we were at a barbecue at your home, and the first thing you did was play a video game with my son. Well, <laughs> And yeah. you looked quite engaged, I have to admit. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, hopefully I don't have too much of a guilty uh, look on my face right now. But, you know, as you alluded to earlier, uh, video games have been a part of my life for a long time. Um, I certainly enjoy playing them um, now as, as I did then. And, um, you know, you also mentioned that in terms of career uh, going forward, I do want video games to continue to be part of uh, whatever I do. And yeah, it's, it's strongly driven by my interest in the area. So you love video games then? Uh, you don't, you don't, I mean, like as a mom, I kind of like, ooh, it's a double-edged sword. I maybe see them as the evil that's invading family time. But, but you still, even after all of your studies... Uh, a lot of what you're going to share with us today, you still love video games? I would I would say that, yes. And, uh, you know, that's one part of the, um, I guess, the field of research is, um, you know, there's a strong focus on some of the negatives associated with video games, um, particularly in association with uh, addiction to video games and to uh, the effects of violence in video games. But um, there is another side to video games as well uh, that's, you know, um, associated with certain benefits to people and how can you harness the ability of games to motivate people to do things and, um, you know, how does that, uh, how can you use that to benefit people in society? And there have been studies that have kind of suggested that you can. Okay. Well, good. Um, so I am, I'm interested in you taking me back to the beginning of your study in this and why. Maybe maybe the life transition with the motorcycle accident. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, uh, I'd always been interested in psychology. Um as a you know, as, as something of personal interest, um, I'd even contemplated making a career of it at one point. But um, I think you know, uh, I never really considered it that seriously. Uh, while uh, thinking about what to do for my undergraduate studies, I'd thought that uh, you know maybe engineering you know, something I I enjoy um, and it's probably more lucrative in terms of earning a living as well uh, versus psychology. Um, so I became a computer engineer, as you said. Um, but, you know, throughout that time as a computer engineer, both studying it and later while working as a video game programmer, I continued to have an interest in psychology. And uh, this idea of video game addiction uh, kept cropping up. Um, and, yeah, to be frank, I was like quite uh, fascinated and uh, with the idea that, you know, these products that I was working on uh, that was, you know, that would bring me a lot of joy when I was playing with them and that, you know, I imagined that uh, customers, when they purchased the products and played them at home, uh, that they'd be enjoying as well, uh, that these products could somehow be causing harm to people. And uh, I think the first time I really encountered this was actually while living in dorm um, at, uh, at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver while studying computer engineering. Um, one of my dorm mates or... Um, residence mates, as you call it. I don't know what the U.S. word for that is. Like Roommate, yeah. I think is what we say. Sure. Um, yeah, he actually was preparing for final exams. And um, one day he just came up to me and handed me his 
the his computer monitor, the monitor for his PC, and actually said to me, okay, no matter what, don't give this back to me until after exams are finished. And, uh, wow. you know, I was, yeah, I was, uh, you know, taken aback and asked him why and uh, said, you know, I can't stop playing this game. Uh, and the game's name was Quake. I don't know if you, you know, the, the listeners go back uh, that far, but it was a first person shooting game that was, uh, that had kind of this online component where you could play with other uh, groups of other players uh, competitively. And um, yeah, this, uh, this guy I knew had become uh, addicted to it, I guess, you know, using the kind of the lay term for addiction. And um, yeah, and so he gave me his monitor and uh, the story goes on a bit in that, you know, a week later, you know, he came back looking for his monitor and I I'd said to him, uh, okay, wait, you know, you want your monitor back now, but you told me ne- not to give this back to you until final exams had finished. And they weren't done yet. When <laughs> exactly. He was so I asked him, okay, so what's up with that? And, um, you know, I, like he actually said, look, I don't care. They just give it back to me. I really want my monitor back. And, um, and he started to get angry um, when I resisted. And I ended up actually giving the monitor back to him without really thinking too much more about it. It's just that, you know, okay, this is really odd. He's becoming quite agitated over the, this. And I hadn't really, I, I didn't really even like understand the concept of video game addiction at the time. Uh, but it was only later in reflection that I was thinking like, oh, actually, you know what, that was very similar to the idea of, you know, maybe, uh, you know, when someone uh, who's addicted to like drugs or alcohol um, is taken away from their substance and, uh, you know, just kind of goes through these withdrawal symptoms and gets violent over, um, you know, over that withdrawal. And you witnessed that right there in the dormitory. I, I did. And... Um, and he kind of felt like maybe he would punch you if you didn't honor his request. Well, yeah, on one hand, uh, I thought about that. And the other hand was like, oh, man, you know what? Like, yeah, what became of this guy? Like, I lost touch with him afterwards. But, you know, I do wonder if, you know, did by, you know, giving him back his monitor, did that really adversely affect his exams? And, uh, you know, did I play a part in that, uh, you know, any sort of failure associated with his exams? So then as a game developer, you start thinking about the wider implications of your work. For sure. And, um, you know, not only myself, but I mean, you know, as I as my career progressed as a game developer, certainly, you know, you heard more and more in the news that, uh, hey, you know, maybe people are coming to harm from uh, uncontrolled play of, uh, of their video games. Um, and it's actually interesting. There was um, a program that just aired recently on HBO. It's called Love Child. And um, it's a documentary about the case of... Uh, this couple in South Korea, and what happened was, um, well, well, allegedly they played uh, video games addictively and couldn't stop, uh, so much that their three-month-old daughter actually ended up dying because they, you know, neglected to feed her uh, oh, after like a ten-hour session. So, actually, yeah, if you're curious to have like you know maybe some insight into like maybe the more extreme uh, implications of video game addiction, I, I encourage you to you know maybe. You know, check that out. Check that one out. Yeah. Research that one online. What would you What would you put in as the search criteria for that again? Uh, the film's name was Love. Uh, Love is Child. Love Child? Yeah. Okay. And it's on H. It was on HBO. HBO yeah. Love Child. Yeah. Oh, so fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so I, as a parent, I see this as something that robs my child of their childhood in a way. Um, I remember a childhood where I got to just sit and dream and actually have the experience of being bored and not being fully engaged in a very stimulating way all every at every turn you know and a lot of wonder comes from that a lot of peace and a lot of um, 
contemplation and how you're going to plan for your life. But people are using their time in such different ways now because they have so many stimulating things to fill tiny gaps of time with. Um, what what have your studies led you to see about the the wider implications of gaming, even in adults? I mean, I play solitaire on my phone every now and then, sometimes to fall asleep. And my husband goes, "Oh, you're addicted to that game." And I go, "I really don't think I'm addicted to it, but it does it, it does mean I'm not reading a book, right? You know, uh, yeah. Um, even if I'd only get through one or two pages, yeah, I can certainly uh, yeah sympathize with what you're thinking about. I mean, um, my brother just had uh, you know had a child, and uh, he's about two and a half now and like you know he's struggling with whether you know like should I let my child play video games he has you know he's he's very curious he has like a natural attraction to you know on devices like you know mobile phones and and the games on them but um, you know he kind of reflects that you know as a child I never really did those things is it you know is it essentially normal for um, someone to be using uh, electronic devices technology video games like you know all the time now Um, and that's part of the controversy, I guess, with uh, with video game addiction. Um, you know, although we use the term addiction and video game addiction often uh, in our day to day discussions and speech with friends and family, um, you might may or may not be surprised to know that in the medical world, uh, the concept of addiction wasn't even like fully uh, formally endorsed until May uh, 2013. When addiction, addiction, or just addiction to video games? Uh, addiction in general. Oh, um, oh, that's surprising. Yeah, and it really surprised me when I first started studying psychology. Um, yeah, that you know, I thought addiction was something that you know, like, was well understood. And um, you know, I guess what I take away from my past uh, years of study is that uh, it's actually not. It's actually you know beyond um, I guess drug dependence. Uh, alcohol dependence and maybe pathological gambling like all these other addictions that we might talk about in our day-to-day discussions um yeah those are actually not formally recognized in the medical uh model is it your opinion that they should be well i think the story's uh yeah still to be told on that i mean yeah there's uh, i do agree uh with the reasons why it's not fully acknowledged yet uh basically there's a, a lack of research really to say one way or another and it's not that the American Medical Association uh, fully rejects it, but uh, you know they've basically decided to you know take a uh, let's stop and wait stance and wait for more research to come in before uh, we fully you know, formalize this. And you know the implications of you know endorsing this before we have enough research yeah, it could be you know just as bad as not endorsing it. I mean, like you could be suddenly labeling all these people that are addicted like when you know they're just essentially doing a day-to-day normal activity. And you know back to your question about you know like yeah is it is it normal or abnormal to be using video games like every day? I think that you know it, it ties into the idea of uh, you know like we have internet everywhere. We have access to the internet and, um, you know, everything associated with the internet through our mobile phones and other devices now. Um, it's really quite a lot of technological change that has occurred maybe in the past decade. And, um, of course it's going to look different, right. From what people have experienced prior to that. And, um, you know, if I were to draw an analogy, maybe it would be, you know, when we first invented the telephone or first invented television, you know, uh, those activities probably looked very odd to people who didn't grow up with them uh, versus, you know, uh, people who, were, who did grow up with them. That's a good analogy. And and yet we still are faced with having to uh, look at this deeply so that we can understand 
how we're going to govern our families before we let them take over our families, right? For sure. I mean, yeah, yeah you know, I think, uh, the, I guess the problem right now, you know, when I say it's not recognized by the, uh, you know, by the medical world, like this idea of video game addiction or addiction. I so mean, addiction in general, let's talk about what actually that is sure. in terms of the medical community's acknowledgement of it. Sure. Um, well, I mean, even though it's not uh, acknowledged formally, people do get treated for addiction, right? Like, right. Or, or what we would call addiction. Um, Ones that we as society have, yeah, said sure. are not tolerable. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, like, part of the issue is that, you know, no matter what we call it, if someone comes up to you as a medical professional, right, like, and says, hey, you know what, I, I, I can't stop doing this activity or using this substance, um, and it's totally destroying my life, um, I think ethically uh, and compassionately, like, of course, we're going to try to help them. And I think that's what uh, happens right now. Uh, you know, of course, you'll hear about addiction centers uh, throughout uh, throughout North America, um, and people will offer addictions treatment services, uh, regardless of whether it's formally acknowledged or not. But it's that loss of control component that probably is where we really say, you've crossed the line, you can no longer control it, it's controlling you, sure. and so that means you're addicted, right? Right, and that's part of like a working definition of addiction, like okay. that uh, I think people, you know, healthcare professionals who work with uh, what we call addicts, uh, has adopted. Uh, usually, there's like three components to um, to you know working uh, to this working model of addiction. Um, so it would be you know preoccupation with the addictive substance or behavior, uh, a loss of control, as you mentioned, perseverating yeah. on it all the time, thinking right. about it. Well, and, and also like you know even when they recognize that there's a problem, having an inability to actually stop despite a motivation to do so. Okay. Yeah. So if you're just tuning in, uh, we are enjoying a discussion here at Real People OC with uh, Yurik Wong, soon to be Dr. Yurik Wong when he completes his dissertation. And we're we're digging into the form of addiction that seems to be infecting all ages, which is so interesting too. It's not just adults, it's young people and really young people. Um, that's video game addiction. And we're looking kind of behind what, what that's all about and um, hearing, hearing from Yurik what his studies are finding. So really fascinating discussion we're having here. Um, so are they getting close to acknowledging video game addiction as something they can put in the, the DSM? The diag That's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, right? Yes, uh, of mental disorders. Of mental disorders, yes. okay. Um, are they getting close to acknowledging that as a, as a legitimate concern? Well, I was really encouraged that uh, there does seem to be progress on that front. Um, so in, I mentioned that uh, it was not acknowledged until May of 2013. And the reason why there was a change was that there was a new version of this uh, diagnostic and statistical manual uh, for mental disorders, which uh, we you know, affectionately call the DSM for short. Um, so this fifth version, the, the DSM-5, uh, in it, what they did was they actually finally created uh, a category for addictions that finally united uh, this idea of like substance dependence and um, and pathological gambling uh, that had just been kind of like arbitrarily almost like shoehorned into previous uh, versions of this DSM manual. And this manual, um, it's it's a big deal because actually it's uh, almost like the diagnostic Bible, if you will, that's used by psychiatrists and psychologists in, in their work. And, um, you know, the implications of uniting uh, substance and uh, gambling addiction uh, into the same diagnostic category is that um, it really opens the door towards like the addition of other what they call uh, behavioral addictions and uh, that might one day include uh, video game addiction. 
Okay. Now I remember from days when I worked in um, in the biotech industry, it was very difficult when you would come up with a new medical device to get it to be reimbursed, and the only way to do that was to get like an ICD-9 code or a CPT code at the time. And um, the way they would do that is exactly this: they would piggyback onto an existing code that um, comes to the closest approximation of defining that. And then work towards getting enough research to get their own code, which is really what you said it takes, right? Is enough research in the area? For sure, yeah. So I think this certainly opens the door to more. It's more funding and, uh, you know, uh, just more, maybe even more curiosity about investigating uh, video game addiction and other behavioral addictions. Okay. So, okay, so you love this. Did you ever feel like you were addicted to video games when you were younger and you were playing them? Did you ever feel a sense of maybe, ooh, this could go somewhere if I don't keep it in check? Oh, absolutely. Like your roommate, friend? Yeah. I mean, you know, and myself, my friends included, you know, we'd always be discussing like, oh man, you know, like the latest version of, uh, you know, whatever game we were uh, infatuated with at the time, like, uh, you know, like Starcraft or Warcraft, like some of these uh, strategy games, that was sort of my main interest in uh, in video game play. And, uh, you know, I remember after, you know, getting our hands on these games, the following day, we'd be, you know, discussing amongst ourselves at school saying like, oh, my goodness, like, yeah, what time were you up to last night playing this thing? Right? <laughs> like, you know, for myself, I recall, you know, staying up into the wee hours of the night, uh, you know, even when I had uh, homework due the next day uh, that I should have been working on and, uh, you know, still playing this game you know, in now, spite of those deadlines. But do you find that those games, though, see, this is where it's a little tricky for me because I, I think you have to be pretty intelligent to be able to engage on some of these levels, uh, like World of Warcraft. I mean, are, isn't this like very intricate societies that are being built? I don't know anything about that game, so you have to lead me in the right place. But I know a lot of people that stay up all night and play it and have alter egos. And, you know, can you comment on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like one of the things that really struck me as, uh, you know, different perhaps, like in terms of video game addiction versus, uh, you know, maybe other types of addictions, particularly like the substance addictions that form kind of the, the core uh, of recognized addictions in the medical model, uh, were that, you know, like a lot of these uh, games, they actually, as you mentioned, require a lot of effort, a lot of work, um, a lot of concentration. When And maybe social sophistication too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you uh, talk about like... Uh, Warcraft. There's a successor to Warcraft called World of Warcraft, which you've probably heard of. Yes. It's actually developed here in Irvine by a company called Blizzard. Um, but yeah, it's extremely popular. Um, it's on the decline. It's been around for about 10 years now. And, um, you know, it peaked at about like 12 million users. It's now at about uh, declined to about 8 million users. But there's still a substantial group of people that play this. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, like this is a very expansive game uh, for the player. Like there's many, many different things to do. Uh, you're essentially you have an avatar that explores this virtual fantasy world uh, that's full of, um, you know, quests that you can participate in. Um I guess beasts that you can slay. There's people that, you know, thousands of other people online at a particular server at the same time as you that you can interact with socially, uh, both competitively and cooperatively. So, yeah, as you mentioned, it's a it's a big deal. And really quickly, um, I want to ask why it's an expensive game. Do you have to keep paying for it? Oh, sorry. I, I meant to say expansive. Expansive. Uh, yeah. You did. OK, sorry. And, but, you know, uh, that kind of uh, allows me to kind of drop in this uh, this other uh, unique thing about video game addiction is that actually it's quite different from perhaps uh, gambling addictions in that, um, you know, even though uh, at the beginning of research they liken the two, uh, and in fact gambling addictions form the template for much of the video game addiction research that we see today, um, 
yeah, I would actually say that financially there isn't a huge impact or as le- at least not as big as perhaps like drugs and, and gambling can get you into. For example, the World of Warcraft only costs about $15 to play per month, right? Mm. Well, it's starting to become an economic model, though, for many of these companies that develop these games because the kids want to achieve certain milestones on the phone. And they're like, can I spend 99 cents to buy 20 power of this? And I'm like, if you ever do that, you'll see the end of ever touching my cell phone. But they're starting to probably, you know, create an online addiction in some way Um to be able to purchase to create power i mean it's fascinating how insidious it is and how 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 sneaky it is oh for sure and um you know like yeah there is the yeah the other side of this whole uh gaming addiction um phenomena is that yeah there's actually like you know game companies producing these games um i don't think you know necessarily they're out to necessarily you know create you know games that uh, cause addiction or cause problems amongst their players but when it comes down to it these companies are not charities either right like they're in it to uh, make money for their uh, for their employees and for their shareholders and you know uh, highly correlated with making money is you know getting uh, you know creating these games that allow them to recoup costs and um, and to build kind of like a large group of players uh, to continue that will continue paying into these games and uh, you know some of these microtransactions uh, that you're seeing like these 99 cents you know pay 99 cents for an item within game or uh, or the privilege of using something within game that's uh, been at the forefront of um, you know kind of this new business model that uh, game companies are catching on to that allow them to essentially make more money uh, but you know might be linked to kind of more addictive models of play. Right, right. I want to, before I leave too quickly, the going back to the world of Warcraft, yes. um, you talk about this really expansive society that's created within it. Um, but there's a stigma, I think, or maybe a misperception that, that the more antisocial person would engage in a game in this way. But to me, it's incredibly sophisticated and incredibly social. What say you about the typical personality profile that would engage in something like this? Are they a more antisocial person where they would come home and play for hours and hours in a video world rather than interact in a real world? Or, um, or like, help me understand that. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting question because, I mean, you know, much of the uh, discussion, I guess, that, uh, that I've seen on the social aspects of gaming is, uh, you know, kind of like this controversy about whether our are in-game interactions socially are they you know any worse than face-to-face interactions and i hear arguments uh, from both camps i mean um you know one is that uh, yeah perhaps yeah these uh, social interactions in a video game they're not actually um yeah they're not real uh, in social interactions and i can i can kind of see where that argument comes from like for example when you're interacting in a game a mul- massively multiplayer online game you have an avatar that represents you um and usually when you're uh typing um to each other in these games that's you know that's the primary method of communication and maybe some of that nuanced face-to-face communication where there's emotion that you have to you know kind of transmit through your facial facial expressions and all that some of that gets lost right and maybe the implications that uh, people worry about in that regard are that you know will people who grow up interacting just primarily online will they lose some of that ability to communicate uh, face-to-face interpersonally Yeah. yeah Um, well, it's hard to know because, you know, so far, um, I mean, I've met 
I've I've met people from two different camps that play those games. Incredibly social, highly functioning people that seem to be leading normal, healthy, emotional, and physical lives, and then those that are quite reclusive that this is their social life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, like, you know, on the flip side, like the benefits of like interacting in some of these online worlds is that you can actually probably interact with people that you never would have been able to interact with, um, you know, in a face-to-face interaction. Like, for example, if you know you have friends. Uh, who live a great distance away, perhaps maybe interacting online is one of the few ways you can maybe get together and do any sort of activity or communicate. Uh, and even those those are like virtual activities, uh, you know, activities that take place in a simulated world. Yeah, maybe those, you know, that having that uh, ability to do that is still beneficial to your friendship. And um, also, you can actually probably interact with much larger groups of people online as well. Like if you can think about, you know, if you were interacting with hundreds of people, it would, you'd need a lot of space to do that in the physical world. But in a virtual realm, you can, you know, there's no limit on the type of virtual space you can create and allow those interactions to take place. Now, were you a World of Warcraft user? I, I actually wasn't. Uh, I was not. Um, I would say that uh, a lot of my friends were, and they really encouraged me to get into it, uh, particularly after after I moved away uh, for a graduate school. Uh, you know, they kind of said, like, hey, you know, we're all really into this uh, massively multiplayer game. Uh, if you get in, then, you know, you can uh, continue keeping contact with us uh, while you're away. And, um, yeah, like definitely I could see like why they would make that argument and it was kind of compelling, but at the same time I couldn't get into the game myself just because, um, of the time requirements of, uh, of graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about this game and other games like it, uh, being very expansive, um, simply, you know, what I was trying to do in graduate school, like I could not have something like that on my plate as a, as a way of an, you know, method of inter- entertainment, right? It would if, be like maintaining a part-time job maybe on the side. Yeah, probably. Probably, right? <clears throat> the amount of commitment you need to be, you know, to interact at any level of significance, perhaps. Right. And for me, you know, graduating from school, that was that was my priority. And I really couldn't let anything else uh, get in the way of it, uh, you, know, my, you know, as tempting as it might have been to get involved. So let's, if we could for a minute, I know you're not a medical professional, so I won't make you answer too many difficult questions. But there's some basic information that we can all share with each other to become more informed. Um and I'm talking about like understanding dopamine and adrenaline and serotonin. Um, can we talk a little bit about how the video game addiction works and why why it creates that snare for the user that makes them want to come back over and over again? Okay. Uh, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, we mentioned that, uh, you know, in the new model of, uh, of addiction that's uh, coming into being in this new version of the DSM manual, the DSM-5. Um, well, um, I mentioned that maybe there's kind of this umbrella category that encompasses all addictions, whether they're substance addictions or behavioral addictions. And uh, the reason why they're moving in that direction is that increasingly there's studies showing uh, that, you know, whatever uh, the addictive behavior uh, is, uh, when you kind of look at it, um, you know, using neural imaging, for instance, uh, it affects actually very similar parts of the brain. Um, So in um, fMRI studies, for instance, these magnetic magnetic resonance imaging studies uh, if they have f stand for because it's functional uh, functional so, mri studies yeah okay. so it means that you can actually uh, while you have someone engaging in a certain activity you can watch like all the different like 
changes in the person's brain in real time um yeah so it kind of differs from this idea of like static fmri where you're essentially taking pictures of a brain right that's all you had um but uh yeah whether um participants in these studies are engaging in uh you know some sort of like uh substance related activity or uh gambling or video game uh play the same reward centers uh light up in uh, these people's brains and um so that's one part of it, like that, you know, it seems like physiologically uh, there's uh, similar there's pathways at work. Yeah, yeah. The other part of it is that the presentation of, um, of different addictions, actually, it seems fairly similar. Uh, for example, uh, in the DSM-5, even though they haven't formalized it, they do have this uh, disorder that they've proposed. Um, it's currently categorized as a condition for further study, which is, uh, which means that you shouldn't really be making formal diagnoses for it, but uh, they have it there to encourage research. And uh, some of the criteria in, um, in this disorder are preoccupation with uh, internet games, uh, withdrawal symptoms when the game is taken away, tolerance, that is the need to spend increasing amount of time uh, engaged in these internet-enabled games, um, unsuccessful attempts to control the participation in the games, loss of interest in previous hobbies and entertainment as a result of and with the exception of internet games, continued excessive use of internet games despite knowledge of psychosocial problems, uh, deception of family members, therapists, and others regarding the amount of internet gaming they're engaging in, uh, use of internet games to escape or relieve a negative mood, and uh, finally, jeopardizing or uh, losing a significant relationship, job, or educational or career opportunity because of participation in internet games. And when you hear these criteria, like, yeah, they actually sound very similar. It sounds to, very sad, actually. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, what you might expect in the tragedy of someone uh, who's also addicted to, like, you know, alcohol, drugs, or gambling. Sure, sure. So, um, let's understand chemically what's happening to the brain what's being released um usually you would use an external substance to become addicted but this is really happening all on its own with just the use of a game fascinating right um yeah and i guess part of the reason why previously um you know this kind of medical model of addiction or dependence uh, re- you know revolved around substances was that it was kind of believed that yeah you know, for uh, an addiction to take place essentially or dependence, as they called it, you had to be introducing an external substance into your body uh, that would, you know, I guess as the model goes, stimulate your reward centers so much uh, that your body just could not uh, regulate it naturally. And uh, and the result was that your body would become uh, just, you know, really dependent on the substance, crave it and chemically adjust to having it in the body and really have trouble doing um, doing without the substance. And uh, and therefore leading to a lot of the sub- the substance related I guess symptoms that we just talked about. So the chemical reaction that's happening that the game is causing to happen, which I still don't really quite understand how, um, is what's bringing them back to do it again and again. Because this is what I notice in the kids: there's an aggressiveness towards wanting to get to the game time of the day, right. and they'll hide, they'll sneak, they'll do things to get away to do it. And I find that so odd. Yeah, so it seems like, yeah, maybe yeah, some of these criteria we talked about you can observe like in your kids. Um, and it kind of fits, I guess, this newer idea of like behavioral intra- uh, addictions. And I guess how they consolidate that with substance addictions where there was an external substance was that increasingly there's the belief that um, certain behaviors uh, are so, um, you know, I guess 
they have the capacity to kind of modify mood. And uh, what that does is that it stimulates your brain, your body itself to kind of release uh, larger amounts of probably what are like naturally occurring um, substances that you would normally have in your body, like dopamines, uh, serotonin, and adrenaline, but perhaps that they would be present in maybe more like smaller amounts or for maybe a limited duration of time. Um, maybe more reserved quantities rather than a big hit all right. at once. Uh, and what some of these activities, like maybe video games, uh, can do now is that they um, can kind of continually s stimulate the production of these chemicals in the body. And, you know, like with uh, drug addictions, your body can actually come, become uh, dependent on these elevated levels of these internal natural substances. And therefore, uh, what your body will crave is that uh, you uh, continue to kind of engage in these behaviors that produce those substances that you become dependent on. So my, my guess is that you're going to probably borrow on a lot of research done on just general addiction to see what some of the long-term effects of video game play are. For sure. Um, like, I, I think I mentioned briefly that for video game addiction, like originally when people first started looking into it, they really uh, likened it uh, to gambling addiction. So, um, yeah, for my work and as for, you know, for many researchers in, in uh, my field, like we lean or have leaned heavily on, uh, on gambling addiction uh, research. And uh, what we're finding is that, you know, like even though there's some small differences, uh, like, you know, I mentioned that maybe there's not a big financial impact uh, for video game addiction versus gambling addiction. Um, there are a lot of uh, risk factors that we've seen in other types of addiction that uh, seem to also apply to video game addiction. Um, risk factors? Yes. So uh, like you mean like a typical profile of an individual? Like should we talk then about who plays video games maybe sure. from what you're studying or is that too soon to go into that area um yeah we can jump into some of that i mean um some of the risk factors that we've seen um in research and actually yeah, in a study that i just did recently uh we we're finding that uh you know those uh young people um males um i guess young boys um are uh, particularly susceptible perhaps to uh you know uncontrolled video game play um, also, personality-wise, uh, we're finding in this recent study that we did with 927 folks uh, that uh, maybe uh, lower levels of conscientiousness are associated also with the... Uh, you mean their awareness point. of self or just um, you may be not doing well in school or give me an example of what you mean? I guess, um, yeah, we base that on um, this big five model of uh, personality that's actually quite popular in, in psychological study. And there's this one factor, one of the, the five factors in this big five model is conscientiousness. And it's essentially the uh, level, I guess, like of responsibility that a person has, uh, you know, towards, uh, you know, prioritizing day-to-day -day tasks and, and things like so that. So like basic executive functions? Or sure, yes. Like I need to get up and put clothes on and brush my teeth and brush my hair? That would be part of it. And um, yeah, we're finding, I guess, people that uh, maybe rank lower on conscientiousness. Uh, and, you know, when you think about it, that might be actually associated with youth, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, younger people, uh, you know, they often need help from parents, like in kind of learning what is right and wrong, what they should be doing in life, how they should prioritize uh, things in their lives. Um, you so know, that sort the, of thing is associated with the, risk. The question for a parent is then, what came first? Did I let them play too many games and so they didn't pick up on on these important things we've asked them to learn as a child? Or did they play the games and so it retarded their ability to even learn those? Well, you know, that's, yeah, that is the problem with, uh, you know, the lack of research right now. I mentioned that, you know, some of these risk factors that we're discussing, uh, essentially they come from research where they've looked at people who play 
uh, video games uncontrollably or perhaps like rank higher when when they fill out uh, these questionnaires about uh, video game addiction. Uh, we're finding a correlation with some of these factors that we talked about. Uh, however, um, you know, I guess like almost anybody who uh, has to kind of study uh, in some sort of scientific field, um, you know, one of the factors that they drive home is that correlation doesn't actually equal causation. Uh, in that just because the two things are correlated, it doesn't mean that, you know, we necessarily know which caused sure, the other. Sure. And unfortunately, I think that's where we still struggle uh, with um, the the research right now and that we haven't been able to get to a point where we're uh, doing studies where, uh, you know, essentially we're forcing people to do certain things and seeing if they become more addicted as a result. And I think, you know, ethically, I think that'll always be a challenge in, in uh, any sort of addiction study. So it's a very difficult uh, thing to prove. But a, a good example that people might be familiar with is the um, the MMR vaccine with, with autism. So that's a perfect example of where they're thinking they're just strongly correlated, but they're not causing you know, I don't know, that's left to every parent to decide, right? Right. And yeah, certainly, they, I think there's research, uh, you know, whether you can prove causation or not, at least maybe it kind of gives you ideas. Uh, you know, yeah, as you mentioned, as a parent, maybe some of the things that you uh, might want to pay attention to in terms of your child's, uh, you know, play of video games, whether it's addictive or not. And, you know, and I guess even broadly, you know, like your child use of any sort of uh, technology um, these days, right? Because I mean, you know, you know, beyond video game addiction, there's the talk, I guess, of like internet addiction or addiction to social networking, and uh, I guess my uh, my. Opinion, well, I definitely I guess, see on, that in a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people that Facebook, you know, I don't know the mark on, I don't know, they get a scratch on their knee or something, and you know, you're hearing about it on Facebook and crazy stuff like that. For sure, and I think like you know, as a parent, I guess my opinion would be just that you know, I don't think you'd like let your child watch television. Uh, uncontrol un- uncontrollably you know without any uh, moderation um, you know in their day-to-day lives and I don't think you should similarly let your child necessarily uh, have uncontrolled access to video games or the internet or right, anything right. like that well so um, if you're just tuning in with us I'm having an interesting discussion with Yurik Wong he is uh, soon to be Dr. Wong he's doing his dissertation in video game addiction he himself is a player and uh, love video games and a creator of video games and <clears throat> we're just kind of going down the line of talking about um, the profile of the average player that might be addicted, some of the things that are risk factors for these individuals, and um, hopefully we'll come up with a few solutions. Have you gotten to any place in your research where you can start giving advice on limiting time and play and knowing what what a reasonable amount is for a parent where you get some really good concrete um specific directions on what to do and not to do or are you at that point yet in your research uh unfortunately i'm not at that point in my research uh nor is the research uh field in general like we they really haven't done um you know any sort of uh i guess empirical studies on what works in terms of treating people who are addicted and i mentioned you know maybe part of the problem with that is that we still struggle with even like defining what addiction is particularly video game addiction so i think to get to that point where we're um you know, looking at whether we're going to be, you know, we're effectively treating it and, and how to effectively treat it. Like part of that, uh, you know, the, I guess how to assess it probably has to be figured out first. However, I would say that, uh, you know, as part of my training as a clinical psychologist, I have had the, op- just op- right on oh, my, yeah. Oh, I have had the opportunity to, um, to work with addicts in a hospital setting. 
Um, I had, uh, I guess I'd like to discuss maybe two. Um, like case studies? Two of my case, yeah, two of my uh, uh, patients that I work with, yeah, oh, case studies. Um, let's see if I can find where I made some notes about them here. Uh, but they were both young folks. So they were younger individuals in the hospital. Yes. Um, one was a 26-year-old Caucasian male. Uh, he came to see me for uh, help with addiction to World of Warcraft. Uh, historically, he was uh, strong ad- uh, academically. He was an athlete on the swim team. Uh, he studied engineering in university, and that's when his problems began. He uh, began playing World of Warcraft. Uh, he failed out of school. Uh, he began suffering from extreme depression. And... Um, yeah, he ended up failing out of school and returning home uh, to live with his parents. And then uh, ever since then, he'd struggled with unemployment and uh, anxiety and depression. And um, yeah, he was unable to kind of get out of that that circle, uh, that funk, if you will. And um, he became, um, I guess he kind of viewed himself as addicted and un- under encouragement from his parents. He finally came into the addiction center where I was working to um, to seek help for his problems. So did you feel like you had options to give him to help him out of that? Um, since it was so new, uh, basically what we did um, at the addiction center was we uh, enrolled him into the standard addiction program there. Um, the addiction program at this particular addiction center, it really treated uh, groups of individuals who were suffering from addiction, whether they were substance addictions, alcohol addictions, or gambling addictions together in large groups. And the do, way... Th- do you think that's problematic then to parse out what each individual's... Or do you think that's that's okay to pursue it in that way? Or maybe that's all you have? I actually think it was problematic to roll them all in together. and Because um, I can tell you from the standpoint of... A person that, you know, just wanted to lose weight, I'd sit in a room and go, I don't have that problem. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't, you know, I'm not addicted to sugar. That, you know, you rule yourself out of the equation so quickly and you think, I I, I don't belong here. Yeah, for sure. With this particular patient and uh, with a second patient who is this 23-year-old Korean male who is uh, coming to see us uh, due to addiction to this game called Heroes of New Earth, which is a... I guess a type of game called a massively multiplayer online battle arena game, which is also becoming quite popular. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they both came in and enrolled in the program, and uh, they both made gains actually um, in terms of regulating their play. Um, the World of Warcraft player cut his play down to actually ten minutes a day um, at one point, um, and then the uh, Heroes of New Earth player managed to kind of reduce his uh, play to three times a week from like seven days a week. Um, but then their uh, treatment kind of like hit a wall in the sense that when it came to the point where we were encouraging them to, um, I guess, stop their play entirely, they resisted. Um, and one of the reasons they resisted and wanted to kind of drop out of the treatment program uh, was that they noticed in this group treatment that, hey, you know, I'm not as you know in rough shape as some of these people who are addicted to, say, like crack cocaine. Or I haven't lost, you know, $30,000 in the past month, like this person who's addicted to gambling. So, you know, I, I guess both these patients came to the conclusion that, hey, you know, I've kind of taken this treatment as far as I would like. And I think, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'm cured as far as I want to be. And, you know, I'm, I just want to quit and go home. Huh. But was there ever any talk of drug intervention to help them level out their 
potential chemical dependence on playing video games? Uh, there wasn't. I mean, part of the, that is, I think, again, that the field is so new, so they really haven't done um, you know, many drug trials or kind of work with trying to regulate uh, their addictions using, uh, I guess, pharmacological means. Um, certainly, that's an avenue that you see you know, people who are addicted to um, you know, like other substances or to gambling, like that they do pursue that avenue. But yeah, I think it's just too new uh, in terms of video game addiction for them to try something like that. So what I'm trying to understand as a parent is why my children become slightly more aggressive when they play video games. Can you help me understand that? Um, well, I think that's kind of like where you uh, go back to the idea of withdrawal uh, as, you know, for any addiction. Um, but they're aggressive directly after playing. Oh, uh, no, not from having the, the game removed. No withdrawal yet, none. Okay. Um, well, I think that might actually just relate to uh, perhaps uh, a field of study that actually I'm not directly associated with, but um, there's been a lot of research that looks at the association between playing violent games and violent behavior uh, in children. And I think that topic's actually come up a fair bit uh, recently, actually, in the news with all the uh, you know different s- shootings by young people in schools and things like that. There's been a uh, quite a strong interest in looking at hey, you know, whether video games could be influential in making some of these kids more aggressive and ultimately leading them to um, you know inflicting like you know sometimes lethal harm like to to other people. Right. I was going to ask about that if you had interacted much with that, or if you found people to be aggressive that you worked with. Um, I worked in actually one study at the University of Calgary where uh, actually we've we're trying to get it published right now. Uh, we looked at the effect of playing violent video games on people's ability to process um, facial emotion. So in this particular study, we had people um, who kind of uh, reported to us whether they'd been playing violent video games in the past or not, and then um, we gave them a task like whether where they were trying to identify facial emotion. Like basically, they were uh, showed. Uh, a number of different faces, uh, photographs of faces, and then they had to kind of label uh, what that emotion that face was uh, describing was. And one of the things we noticed was that um, uh, people who played violent games uh, a lot or reported playing violent games a lot in the past, they were able to identify fear very quickly and uh, and more accurately. So In other people. In other people. So, so in real life settings. They, yes. Interesting. So it actually expanded their ability. Uh, yes. It gave him a more acute awareness. And I was thinking about that. I don't know, you know, I don't want to jump to any conclusions in terms of the implications or tie it necessarily to like, you know, kids shooting other kids at schools or anything like that. But, um, you know, I guess like the violence in games could be having some sort of effect, I guess, on uh, on people's uh, behaviors and, and uh, cognitions, especially socially. Now, um, one of the things that I've learned just by being a parent is I have... I have a few friends that have children that are on the autistic spectrum and they find that their children that are, are very drawn to the video games and are, and find such peace in it. And it's such a a place of calm for the family that they, they run to it often as a place to bring their child back to center. Is there anything you can help us understand why that might be? Well, um, yeah, like I, I don't think um, that's yeah, a surprise in that uh, studies on the relationship between uh, video game play and video game addiction and a bunch of different like psychological uh, disorders or psychiatric disorders has shown some sort of relation. So, I mean, uh, elevated video game play has been associated with things like, you know, depression, anxiety, um, also ADHD. 
um, in children. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, aut autistic spectrum uh, disorders as well. And, you know, if I were to think about that, I, uh, in a way, it doesn't surprise me either there, just because uh, there was work done by um, a professor in the UK with the last name Cohen, and he's actually the cousin of Sasha Baron Cohen, the oh, actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he's actually yeah, a professor in. Uh, God, I should I've admitted that publicly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I like him as an actor too. But he's uh, a very intelligent guy. <laughs> he's a funny guy. Um, yeah, he actually has done a lot of work in terms of looking at you know what sort of. Uh, ways can you use to kind of relate to children with autistic spectrum disorders? And he was finding that if you uh, use like certain um, characters in stories um, on TV and such that kind of had more of a kind of mechanized look to them. So like, I guess, um, characters in the shape of like trains, like and even though they might have like a face or something like that, um, his findings suggest that, you know, autistic uh, children kind of associate with those type of characters more than they as associate with um, real people, I guess, right? And um, and I think if I relate that back to video games, um, you know, we kind of talked about whether the uh, social interactions uh, in games are identical to, like, the type of interactions you would get in face-to-face -face, um, associations. Um, I actually don't think they are. I think interactions in video games are kind of filtered. Uh, as I mentioned, you might be talking to someone, but you'd be using your character to interact with them. So they wouldn't actually see you. They wouldn't see your um, your facial expressions. They just see your character on screen. And uh, often when you uh, interact with them, it would either be through uh, text chats or at most maybe some sort of voice over IP um, communication. But, um, you know, it's essentially a filter type of uh, communication, which I think would probably be very similar perhaps to uh, the type of interactions that Dr. Cohen was using in his research uh, that might be easier for autistic children to uh, associate with. So um, I think maybe, yeah, like if I were, again, this is an opinion, um, you know, it's not really backed up by any research that we have at this point, but uh, yeah, maybe that, you know, the type of interactions that uh, autistic children see in video games are kind of maybe filtered and easier for them to process and more appealing as a result. And maybe for them, it's actually a good starting place. I mean, it would be hard to evaluate the the worth of an online friend versus a, a human face-to-face -face if that was the only friend you were capable of having at the time, right? Right, absolutely. And, um, you know, if we kind of talked briefly about some of the benefits to video games, and certainly that could be one of them. Um, you know, other benefits in, uh, that have been associated with video games are... Um, a researcher by the name of Yi kind of mentioned that, um, well, uh, maybe someone uh, in real life who um, does not gravitate towards leadership uh, positions, per, for example, in work or socially, maybe because they just don't look the part, maybe because they are short in stature, or maybe just don't look the part of a leader in a video game world, like because their avatar might actually look, you know, the part of a leader, they could actually experience some of those uh, things and be able to actually experiment, um, you know, taking on different social roles uh, than they're able to uh, undertake in real life face-to-face -face interactions. And maybe perhaps even build confidence as a result of interacting on that level. For sure. It, it kind of goes back to the fake it until you make it sort of thing, but it's, it's everybody's got to try on, you know, different pants and see what they want to wear. And, um, it's, it's maybe not a bad place. So, 
you know, we're drawing down on our time. If well, you were to, can you believe that? I know, two minutes <laughs> left. pretty fast, yeah. Um, if you were to sum up what what you feel like you've learned the most and what's been the most valuable part of the research that you're doing and the, and the project that you're um, putting together, can you tell me what you think um, has been the most enlightening to you? Sure. I mean, yeah, I've looked at video games for many years now, and I think that, you know, I mentioned a number of times, the unfortunate thing right now is that video game addiction research is still very much in a formative state. Like we don't have a lot of information right now. So I don't think we should be jumping to conclusions, um, you know, and nor should we, uh, you know, be subject to hype, I guess. Right. Like when we um, when we hear about some of the things that occur to people, like we should maybe pause and kind of uh, take a step back before uh you know, saying that video games are evil, essentially. Um, that probably is not the case. Um, we have a poor understanding of the mechanism um, at work in video game addiction. We don't have any agreement on how to make a diagnosis yet. Um, however, um, I do think, I guess, people could be coming to harm from video game uh, play. Um, as you mentioned, we see a lot of children who are, play a lot. And, you know, there's probably if anything, opportunity costs that comes from playing, Absolutely. Um, you know, excessively. And I think, you know, just like when television was invented or, you know, even growing up with, uh, with TV, I don't think as uh, parents, we should like uh, necessarily just like let our children have access to those technologies and activities uh, without, you know, any sort of discussion about it and without maybe, you know, instilling some sort of limit at least, right. Uh, to help them regulate and, and maybe more importantly, to learn how to self-regulate um, some of those activities themselves. Um, you kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, I actually uh, kind of experienced perhaps some mild form of video game addiction myself uh, due to my involvement with video game play. And I remember perhaps being um, most afflicted with that when I first moved away uh, from home and was finally out on my own going to university in Vancouver and uh, you know suddenly like there was nothing to kind of regulate nobody regulating you yeah like what I was going to do in my life including my video game play and I remember yeah that's when some I had some of the worst like you know all night video game benders if you will and it wasn't until maybe that I experienced some of those um, negative consequences you know maybe like seeing my grades suffer that you know I I kind of checked myself and kind of turned it around and Perhaps maybe that's some of the problem uh, that um, children have with re- regulating their play right now, too, is that it's not like uh, drug addiction or even gambling, right? Like, I think if you played four hours of video games, you wouldn't really run into the same sort of negative physical consequences as you sure. might. Sure. You wouldn't pass out. You yeah, wouldn't die of a... for four hours. Or, OD. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I do think some guidance in terms of regulation might be helpful um, as a parent. Okay, good. Yeah. So, I mean, it it's it certainly has been good for me to listen to your research. It's certainly a big bugaboo for me. I just I just my my go-to places, uh no, we're just not playing it. We're just getting rid of it and um to shut it down completely. But um but that may that may not be the good thing because we are the information age and this is right. how information is transferred now is is digitally and and there's some skills to be had through through play in this medium wouldn't you say yes and certainly yeah, my research uh, seems to suggest you know we've looked at different types of addiction together and uh, you know an involvement in activities associated with addiction and you know we're finding that video game play is it's pretty normal like kids these days you know whether there's negative consequences or not they people tend to play video games and it's part of 
how they grow up. It's part of how they grow up. Certainly such the cases with today. Um, Yurik, I had, I'm so glad I got to know more about your research. And thank you so much for coming on Real People OC. And we'll look forward to hearing some more, especially when you get dig a little deeper and get into some of those findings that you're working towards with your research. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of fun for me to be able to talk about it, too. Thanks very much, Kimberly, for Good. having me. Thank you for being here. So up next is... Um, is Counterspin, and I am in subbing for Matt Kaplan, who is on vacation. And then after that will be um, Matt's recording of Planetary Radio. So we appreciate you staying tuned with us here at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And um, just stay tuned for some more excellent programming. Thank you.